the Lord said, Most surely I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. And understanding what Jesus is telling us here, we must first understand the elements of this parable, or what is described as this illustration. Now, keeping in mind, in the original manuscripts that we have, in the Greek of the New Testament, there is no punctuation. There's no periods, there's no commas. The verse numbers that you have and the chapter numbers that you have in your Bible do not exist in the, uh, in, in the original languages. They were put there by the people who translate for the purpose of making this thing orderly and decent and, and giving us this, these tools is for the ability to study it. Now, in the Apostle John's writings, when he would move on to another event or another thought, he would use language that would speak of that transition that he was making. When he was going on to a different account of the Lord's life or the Lord's ministry, he would make it very obvious. In chapter 2, he spoke when the wedding at Cana on that third day, so there was a transition there. Chapter 5, after this. Chapters 6 and 7, after these things. Chapter 8, but Jesus went. Chapter 9, now as Jesus passed by, each and every time the Lord is moving on to something else. And you knew that John was moving on in his writings to another aspect of Jesus' ministry. But all of a sudden, there's something a little bit different about the transition, because there really is no transition, between chapters 9 and chapter 10. Look at the last verse of chapter 9 and the first verse of chapter 10. In verse 41 of chapter 9, it says, Jesus said to them, If you were blind, he's speaking to the self-righteous, you would have no sin, but now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Most surely, I say to you, he, now he, he's speaking to these same people. This is the same thought. It, it, it can only, well, it definitely is. Almost, well, it's not definitely because it's not, but it's almost the same paragraph. And so there's no real transition, and so it's obvious that John intends to convey that Jesus is still addressing the situation that existed in chapter 9. Well, in chapter 9, he bypassed the self-righteous. That was actually in chapter 8. Chapter 9, he came to this blind man who was born blind from birth. He did this great work in this man's life and that he mixed that clay with the saliva, put it on his eyes, and told him to go and wash in the pool of Salaam. This man did so, and all of a sudden, this man who was born blind from birth can now see. And now he's got family, he's got friends, and pretty much everybody else recognizing that this man had this infirmity, but now no more because it was unheard of that somebody who was born blind from birth would be able to get their eyesight back. They're wanting to know what happened. Well, he was giving glory to Jesus, and the Pharisees weren't real happy about that. And so they were confronting his family, they were confronting him. And then we saw where this man in verse 35 or actually, yes, in verse 35, the Lord meets him once again, and we see this relationship that is developed, but we also see the anti-relationship. We see how further away the self-righteous come from Christ. And so it's important to understand these little things as we're studying the Word of God. 
in order to get full understanding of chapter 10, you've got to be a student of the Word. You've got to recognize, again, there's no real change between chapters 9 and chapter 10. This is just a little side note here. And so when you're studying the Bible, you look at little things like that so that you're able to refer back when Jesus is speaking of himself, and we'll go through all of the descriptions here. He's speaking of the blind man. He's speaking of the blind man's parents. He's speaking of the common people. And in another context, he's speaking of the, the Pharisees. He's speaking of Israel and all of these things. And he's bringing his point together in chapter 10. We just saw in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, a few weeks ago, that we are to be diligent to present ourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So when interpreting any historical document in the Bible as well, we have to take things in their proper context. As we take it in the proper context, then we are not reading our own opinions into these things, but we are able to glean what the Lord has for us, what he has for you as individuals, what he has for Calvary Chapel, Ontario tonight. So to understand the parable of chapter 10, the first thing we need to do is to define the terms, but we need to define them in the light of chapter 9. And so what does he speak of? I just read these verses. The first thing he speaks of is the sheepfold. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of why, but we'll see as we go through the next couple of weeks this particular chapter. But the sheepfold is Israel. You know, there's two types of sheepfolds that existed in the Lord's day, and he's going to refer to both types. The first type was a sheepfold that was found in a city. If you were passing through and you came into the city, you would have this community sheepfold that you would direct your sheep into. Now, they would be intermixed with other sheep, a picture of what was going on in Israel, specifically Jerusalem at that time. But there would also be the type that was found out in the field. We'll see that in 7 through 9. We won't be looking at that tonight, but that sheepfold existed there. That would be more along the lines of a personal sheepfold. That would be where you would keep your sheep at night in order to keep them protected. In verse 16 we're going to see another sheepfold. That would be the sheepfold of the Gentiles. And it says, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them I also must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So we have the sheepfold. The particular one he is referring to here tonight is Israel. You have the sheep. These are the people of Israel. They're not necessarily saved at this point, but these are God's people. This is these are those who are not the self-righteous, but just the common people. And again, the best examples would be the blind man, would be his parents, would be their friends and neighbors, and just the common people that were observing all that was going on and, and just the people that were around in that area. These are the people whom the Lord has come for. These are the people who the Lord desires to see come into his family. You have the thief and the robbers. The thief and the robbers are the self-righteous leaders, in this particular case, the Pharisees. They're really anybody that would present themselves as something holy, somebody that is religious, but in actuality are far from a relationship with God. So anything that is religious apart from a relationship with God. There's the doorkeeper. We'll see that the doorkeeper is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And there's a stranger. A stranger is anyone who seeks to lead the sheep astray. In our day, a stranger would be a cult, humanist, atheist, anybody who has a life philosophy that is apart from God. 
And so the Lord is given us this rich picture so that we can draw parallels from what was going on then. We can draw parallels into our life. We can draw parallels into our church looking at these things so that we would know that these concepts that the Lord is speaking of exist. He's going to get very personal here tonight. And it's obvious that we see the shepherd of the sheep. I think we all know who the shepherd of the sheep is. The shepherd of the sheep would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sheep have been described as the most defenseless of all animals that God has ever created. Now, I don't know if you know much about sheep. I only know what the Bible has to say. I've done a little bit of study, and I've never raised sheep, so I don't know them personally. But nonetheless, sheep have no natural means to be offensive. They can't go on the offense. They have no teeth. No teeth meant for attacking. They don't have fangs. They don't have claws, and they don't make frightening noise. Have you ever heard a sheep growl? I've only heard sheep utter one phrase, and I'm sure if you can all join together, you can bring... Okay, ready? One, two, three. There you go, because you're all sheep. You know the noise very well. Now, they have no means of an offense... But they also have no natural means, and I don't know what natural means, they have no means whatsoever, of a defense. Sheep have absolutely no speed. They have no camouflage. Matter of fact, they kind of stand out. They can't burrow. They can't fly. There's just nothing that they're able to do. And really, if you look at sheep, what are sheep? Sheep are nature's dessert for predators. You know, they look like marshmallows. Uh, I was uh, watching a documentary on the wolves that were reintroduced into Yellowstone Park. And there's sheep herders that are on the outskirt of that, and they've got big problems with those wolves coming in, and they're killing the sheep. The problem is they capture the wolves, they're not allowed to kill them, and they go and they relocate them deeper into the park. They'll relocate them 40 miles away, and sooner or later they'll come back. I mean, I'll, I'll go pretty far for some tiramisu, um, these these uh, wolves were willing to go very far for, for their dessert. Matter of fact, you look at sheep, sheep are an argument against evolution in an environment of survival of the fittest. Sheep really today should be extinct. I mean, why are sheep still even in existence? Matter of fact, another problem with predators and sheep, they'll come in and predators, wolves and mountain lions, They'll come in, and even bears, I think it's been documented, they'll come in and practice killing them. They'll kill them and just for sport and, and not even eat them. And so you see how vulnerable sheep is. That's the point. So since the basis of this parable comes from last week's lesson, we see the picture of the blind man, a, a sheep, before these false shepherds. And what was the result of that relationship, if you will? Well, they did him great damage, just as surely as a predator will come in and kill sheep. That's exactly what these predators did with this man. Apart from Christ, if you look at verse 34 in the previous chapter, it says, they answered and said to him, the self-righteous, the Pharisees said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Now, they cast him out of the temple area. Now, what's the problem with that? This man, all of a sudden, so excited... He can now see, but now he's been, if you will, excommunicated from his worship of the Lord. Now, you look at worship of the Lord, it's just not going up there worshiping as we think of worship. The bigger part of their worship was offering the sacrifice, the sacrifice for the covering of sin. 
Now, if you've been excommunicated or prohibited from coming into the temple, that means that you can't have your sin covered. That means there's going to be a gulf in your relationship with God. We then saw, though, that this lamb found comfort and peace before the good shepherd. In verse 35 of the previous chapter, chapter 9, it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And then you look down at verse 38, and he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Just as he had now been prohibited from worshipping, at least in his own mind, the Jewish mind, now that he has met Christ, remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? He is now able to worship in spirit and in truth. We gather together, and we've been commanded not to forsake the gathering together of the brethren. What do we gather together for? We gather to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have a feeling that you don't just worship the Lord here. I don't just worship the Lord here. I worship the Lord everywhere that I'm able to. I sing out in my car. I sing in the shower. Not a very pretty picture. I I get into the Word. Uh, I, I just pray to the Lord. I recognize the existence of the Lord, and I thank the Lord. And, and really, it, it's something that is to be done to the core of who we are and every opportunity that we have. And this is what this man is being awakened to. This is what this man, now, not only does he physically see, he is now able to spiritually see. Chapter 10 is from the standpoint of the shepherd to his sheep. Uh, he parallel chapter psalm 23 it's from the standpoint of the sheep to his shepherd but if you look at this man's life and we know very little about this blind man and you look at it from the perspective of him and how jesus has ministered to him now just think of that just think how jesus met this man and and, and draw the parallel with yourself and how christ meets us in a very personal tangible and real way and, and think of this man, think of yourself, and then put yourself in the place of the author, King David of Psalm 23. Now the perspective's been changed. We see now the lesson back in chapter 10 is going to be how the Lord approaches him. We saw that the Lord was sovereign in what he has done in this man's life. But then we can also see the reaction for those who recognize Jesus Christ as their great shepherd. David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. He was probably looking at the sheep, sheep that he had, or maybe even remembering the sheep that he had, and realizing the responsibility that he had as he was the shepherd over all of those sheep. He understood everything that he needed to do and everything he needed to provide for, probably looking at these sheep and how helpless they were and how it was to their benefit to have a shepherd. And the better shepherd that they had, the better off they would be. And then he kind of at some point shifted gears and was considering the Lord in his life. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, when he says the Lord, he's saying Yahweh is my shepherd. Because there's so many shepherds out there. We saw that there was the false shepherd and there was the strangers and all. But Yahweh, the God who is, is my shepherd. And when the Lord is your shepherd, even as David said, I shall not want. Everything that I need is going to be provided for me. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. This would be the ultimate place of feeding Matter of fact, these sheep are so content, they're not spooked, but they're willing to even lay down. He leads me beside the still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
Yea, though that blind man walk through the valley of the shadow of that temple and the self-righteous, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's worth reading again, but consider, consider this. Just consider this, everything else aside right now. Consider what we have in this nation. Consider the mess that everything seems, maybe I should say the disarray of everything that's going on. Then there's the normal hardship that we suffer in our lives. We just had a prayer request of people dealing with some pretty deep things. There's death that's always there. Loved ones that go, at best case, to be with the Lord, and how much worse so when they're not. But in the midst of all of that, you need to understand that if the Lord is your shepherd, if the God who exists is your shepherd, in the midst of all of that, you're not going to have any want. He's going to make you to lie down. He's going to enable you to lie down in green pastures and and lead you by the still waters. He's going to restore your soul. He's going to lead you in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Because you're a Christian, he's going to lead you in paths of righteousness because, well, for you to be able to exalt and to honor his name. And though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though you walk through this life, you don't have to fear any evil because he is always with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He anoints your head with oil, and your cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You'll dwell in his sheepfold forever. The contrast started in chapter 9 now, we're going to see, is fully illustrated in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Most surely, and so when he says most surely, he's trying to make this point He's trying to get his attention. So of everything we just read, now he's wanting to hammer this home. Most surely I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same, that person is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So again, sheepfold Israel. This is the type of sheepfold that is found in the city. It has one entry place, so it can be well guarded. It has high fences so that the sheep can't get out. It's one holding pen, again, as I said earlier, for many flocks. Well, what was the temple? The temple was a house of prayer for what? For all the nations. Israel tried to take it upon themselves, but it was never God's intent. They were to be a light to the world. The temple was to be a place, as it is going to be in the millennial time, for all the nations, for all of mankind to worship the Lord. And so the Lord is saying here is is that this is the sheepfold and there's many that are in that sheepfold. Now what we have here is a contrast between two potential leaders of the sheep. We have the true shepherd and we have the thief and the robber. One that leads to spiritual life and the other to death. We saw that contrast back in chapter 9. You saw the self-righteous. What did they do? They cast this man out of the temple in theory that leads to spiritual death but this man met the lord jesus christ who leads the spiritual life there seems to be only one true way to determine who really is a true shepherd versus the thief and it's the method of entry 
Here, Jesus' own illustration, how is he identified? The true shepherd is identified through the method of entry into the sheepfold. What was the way that the sheep of Israel should have, should have recognized Jesus Christ as the good shepherd? By the word of God. And so this means of entry is the word of God. How did Christ enter into your life? Think of it. How did Christ enter into your life? Somebody spoke the word. Somebody spoke the word. They didn't just say Jesus and you got saved. They didn't just tell you about Jesus and you got saved. The things that they had to speak of Christ were based upon the word of God, and that was empowered by the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless, Christ entered. That was the means of entry into your life. That's why we need to go and speak it, because it's still the means by which Christ enters into the life of somebody who does not know him. There's no other means by which Christ enters into somebody's life than through the word of God. We've seen that many times being built up through the gospel of John. Matter of fact, it's one of the reasons that he wrote that, that Jesus Christ is God, and what is he doing? He's using these concepts to build upon the Old Testament scriptures to show who Jesus is, that Christ would enter into the lives of those who read this gospel. Jesus enters into mankind through the gate that is God's word. Now, the thief, the Pharisees in this particular case, there's many thieves out there as well, they enter in through some other way. How were the Pharisees, the self-righteous of that day, how were they attempting to enter in? They were attempting to enter in through traditions or things based upon their own ideas or basically religion. And again, most of us dealt with that for a large part of our lives. It's what I was taught and trained in as I was a young man through, or a young kid all the way through into adulthood was the traditions, because the church said so. And this can be such a hard way. They, 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 they have taken this door and, and they've made it into this iron gate that can be so hard. You've taken these people and they've taught and trained them and these traditions have been, have been ingrained into people's hearts that their very salvation rests upon these traditions and it can be such a hard thing to go and to, and to pry that door open so that Christ is able to come in because the Catholic Church, and I bear testimony to that, has held me and held, holds so many hostage that way and that your very salvation rests upon your relationship with the Catholic Church. Here in Israel, your very salvation rests upon these religious leaders. And again, that's what they were doing. They were casting this man out of his relationship with God because it was centered upon the temple, and they had control of the temple, so they had control of people's spiritual lives. Ezekiel, it speaks of the good shepherd and it speaks of the bad shepherds. And what were the bad shepherds doing in Ezekiel chapter 34? They, in essence, were feeding off of the sheep. They weren't any different than the predators. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. You, you come in because you, you hear in the word that I've got to make a sacrifice. I'm a poor man. I'm a really, I'm just getting by. I've got my family, but I have to make this sacrifice. And so I make the journey to Jerusalem. And I go to Jerusalem and I can't afford a lamb. I can't afford a cow, but I've got to make the relay. Well, God has provided for that because God is just. 
He's not going to command you to do something that you can't do. And so for a poor person, there's a common dove. Now, okay, so I, I can afford this dove. I can make sacrifice for myself. I can make sacrifice for my family. I can worship the Lord. I can be right with God. I can have my sins covered. But the problem is they're saying, okay, well, not only can you or do you have to buy the dove from us because this is, well, we have the Pharisee stamp on it. Well, really, it was the Sadducees who was doing this, but they had the self-righteous stamp on it. It was approved, had to be approved by them. So you couldn't just find a dove and bring it in, which you could in the sight of God as long as it was perfect, but they, they've gotten control of the temple. And your money wasn't any good. You had to buy the money of the temple. And so that's why they called the money changers. You would take the common money, you would give your unholy money to them, they would give you the holy money back, and it was just pennies on the dollar that you were getting back. And then you would take that money, and then you would go and buy the dove with it. You see what a racket this is? I mean, these guys are ten times worse than the mafia is today. They were shaking people down right and left, and they were making a great living off of it, but the problem is they were destroying the faith of the people. And so they were what was being spoken of in Ezekiel. They were feeding off of the sheep. Well, we know the good shepherd gives of his life for the sheep. And so he who comes according to the word of God is the true shepherd of the sheep. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, it calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. He has validated himself as the great great in rank and greatest of all shepherds because of the cross, displaying himself for who he is, not receiving from the people, but giving to the people eternal life. The Bible tells us that the spiritual leader today takes his example from the, from the Lord Jesus Christ, gives of his life for the sheep. Peter used this example when he was describing who the leaders of the people are to be. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, the elders who are among you. So those, this is a, a, a picture of the pastors. We would look at it like that today. This is how a pastor is to be. So the elders who are among you, he says, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And so Peter, we're not going to get into this in, in chapter 5. It's not a lesson on that. But Peter says, regardless of all of the benefits that I had, we're all fellow elders. We're all in the same boat. He says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Notice he didn't say, shepherd your flock. Why? Why would he not say that? Because you have no flock. It's God's flock. He's not even necessarily calling them a shepherd. He's just telling them to do the work of a shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, not because you have to, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so, how are they recognized? Well, they're recognized as under-shepherds or I kind of look at them as sheepdogs, just the sheepdog, going around and barking and barking and keeping the sheep in line. But you're barking, you're barking forth the word of God, and it's the word of God that continues to build healthy sheep. Verse 3, back in John chapter 10, 
To him the doorkeeper comes, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The doorkeeper is someone who was to guard the sheep in the absence of the shepherd, when the shepherd was not physically there. So the shepherd comes in town, he, drives, or he leads all of his sheep into the sheepfold, goes to a hotel, whatever, goes away. And you have this doorkeeper who is now watching over the sheep. He's not a shepherd, but he is somebody who keeps the sheep secure. He's the one who opens the doors so that they are able to hear the shepherd's voice when the shepherd does come. And again, as we saw earlier in our descriptions here, this is a picture of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus Christ accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so he's the one who opens the door, or as we've seen back in John chapter 3, many other places, he's the one who empowers the Word of God, and so that man is able to receive of it and able to understand it, partake of it, to be able to do it, and to be able to receive the full benefit of it. And so we've got this powerful picture. We've got this sheepfold. There's many sheep in there, but the ones who are the Lord's are, first of all, the ones whom he has led in. They're the ones who will hear his voice. We'll get into that in just a little bit. And it's the Holy Spirit that enables the Lord to enter in through that door and the sheep to be able to see and to recognize. Verses 4 through 6, And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And so, interesting fact of, fact of shepherds in Jesus' time versus shepherds of today. Although sheep in biblical times were used for food and they were used for sacrifice, they were also used for wool. Now, if you were a shepherd of sheep who were used for wool, you would want those sheep to live as long as they possibly could, and you would want many sheep because that would produce more wool. The more wool you produce, the more profit that you would make. Now, a shepherd that used his sheep for wool would keep them for that long time, and they would develop a relationship with one another. Look at the dogs that you have had. Look at the cats that you have had. You've got these mangy animals, but they steal your heart. And they become almost part of the family, and you develop a relationship with them. Now again, I'm not an expert in sheep, but I would imagine it would be the same way. We've had, I don't know how many dogs, uh, or how many dogs I've had in my life, but each one of those dogs have had its own little personality and those own little, those own little quirks. I don't know what kind of pets that you have. I don't know if this like works for a goldfish or not, but you know, if you had some kind of mammal, it, it, it probably had its own little personality, and you kind of got you know, drawn in with that personality, and you developed a bond with that, with that personality. Well, it would be, I would imagine, the very same way for a sheep. I think that's why uh, Nathan's illustration with King David, you know, when he was convicting him of his sin, said that there was a man who had a sheep and he just had one and he just loved that sheep and there was a landowner who had many sheep and a visitor came and this man, this landowner came and took this one sheep, this, this man who loved it and killed it for, the, for this visitor and that would lend impact into that and that would be something that King David would understand this relationship that they're able to have. A shepherd that has no relationship with his sheep 
the only thing he's able to do is to drive his sheep. He would have to go behind them and he would have to drive them. Now, you never hear, you hear a cattle drives. Have you ever heard of a sheep drive? Sheep are not animals that will be driven. It's an ineffective way to be able to move sheep around. But the good shepherd, they hear his voice, and what do they do? They understand that this is the one who cares for them, this is the one who protects them, this is the one who's been good to them all of their lives, and so they're naturally drawn to him. Now, any picture that you have in your mind, you'll see you've got that shepherd, he's got the shepherd's staff, he's out in front, and the sheep are following behind him not driving them, and I've come to understand that as a under-shepherd. I can't drive people. I can't drive people in a relationship with the Lord. Somebody had said, well, you know, we've got to start requiring people to go to this prayer meeting or doing this, and I don't want somebody there that's required to be there. I want somebody there that wants to be there. I mean, who here that's here tonight, have I driven you to come here? Maybe your spouse did or something or whatever, but, but I didn't. And I would like to think that the majority of you are here because you want to hear the shepherd's voice, or you have heard the shepherd's voice, and, and he's led you here. Not my voice, but, but the Lord's voice, and he's led you here. And, and those are the people, and as I see, you know, that they're at this church and, and leadership and, and longevity and the people that have just been plugged into the church, again, they're not here by compulsion. They're here because they've heard the voice of the Lord and this is where the Lord has brought him. And those people are the most valuable people in the work of ministry. And when I say valuable, I just mean the most encouraging, at least the most encouraging to myself. I mean, the most important thing that you do in your Christian life is to show up. Because there's so many people that don't show up or stop showing up. As long as you show up, that means that you're hearing the voice of the Lord and you're following the direction that the Lord has for you. And so you see this relationship that has been, has been fostered. And so the shepherd, the good, she the good shepherd, now if you were a cruel shepherd, imagine they'd hear your voice. Again, I don't, I'm not an expert in sheep, but I would imagine if this is so, they'd hear your voice and they'd run the other way. But the good shepherd, as he enters into the sheepfold, the sheep would gather around him because they would recognize that voice. And those who didn't know him they would be a little skittish and they wouldn't do so. And once you know the voice of the good shepherd, you will follow no other. Verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Who are the them? The them are those of verses 40 and 41. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin, but you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. So he's given this illustration. Why? Because they don't understand what he's talking about. Are we blind? What are you talking about, this blind thing and everything? And Jesus' point is, you're never going to understand because you're not really hearing my voice because I'm not really your shepherd. And that's his point. They don't understand because he is not their shepherd. Their shepherd, their shepherd has been described as being a thief and a liar. Their shepherd is a deceiver. He's the devil. Why? Because what does the devil do? The devil speaks some very fine things, some very desirous things. But what does he do? He leads you to death. And so many people, you know, you look at the flocks, if you will, here in this world, there's so many people that are following, but what are they following? They're following the devil. And the devil is leading them in a way of destruction. 
Look at what's going on in the news with, uh, what is his name, Ryan Locke, the swimmer in the Olympics? Is that his name, Ryan Locke? Yeah. He, he w apparently went out partying. They're driving home in a taxi. They need to use the restroom. They go to this gas station, I guess it is. It's locked up. It's probably closed. They kick in the door. They urinate on the walls. Just this real ugly stuff that's going on. And there's this man who pulled out, a, a security guard came and pulled the gun out, as you can well imagine. And, and then they make up this whole story to try and cover their tracks. And they're nothing but a bold-faced lie. And I'm just thinking, what he's doing is exactly what a lot of our politicians are doing today. They, they learn their lesson well. And so what do we have? We've got some politicians that are not following the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, they deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're lying to the FBI. They're lying to Senate investigations and all of these things. Not mentioning any names here, but if it fits somebody, you can go with that. And what are they doing? They're just following their shepherd. And what is Satan? He's the father of all lies. And so they're following their shepherd. And doing, so you have this, uh, a politician, I would say, is an under-shepherd. Unfortunately, here, it's not an under-shepherd for the Lord. And now what you have is you've got this young man. He's got a situation. He's going to lie his way out of it. And he's following the shepherd. So but what, what's the problem? He's being found the fool, just as this politician is being found the fool and always will, so on and so forth. It used to be in society that you would teach your children morals in the house. You would send them to school, and they would reinforce the morals that you had taught them. And then you would look around at the leadership in your community, the politicians, the police, and, 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 and these people, the, the pulpit, and they would reinforce how those morals are lived out, and you would raise up a very moral society based upon that. But unfortunately, today, it's fallen down at every level. Morals are not being taught in the home. Morals are definitely not being taught in school. We look around at the leadership of today. You look behind the pulpits, uh, the, the elected office, whatever it might be, morals have just gone down the drain. And so we see the effect that it has had upon this society. But as far as those who are of the Lord, we need to continue to have an ear to hear the voice of the Lord and to follow the leading of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at the confidence, and I'll close with this last thought. The confidence that we are able to have in the Lord. Verse 3, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He calls them by name. He doesn't say, all y'all. He says, you. And he's speaking of the individual. And this speaks of personal relationship. Not only does he speak their name, it just kind of gets me that he knows their name. Now, what's the name of a person? It's the nature and the essence of who they are. He knows me as no one else can, and he still called me into his flock. He knows the nature and the essence of might. He knows my sinful nature. He knows my thoughts. He knows the things that I don't reveal to anybody. And the same thing with you. But nonetheless, he still personally called you into his flock. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Look it down at verse 14 in chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
Now, even though he knows my name, secondly, he calls me by my name. At some point, he said, I want you, Mike. He called Mike, or he called your name, and you heard that, and you followed through. Matthew 9.9, as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And what did Matthew do? He simply got up, and he followed him. He heard the call. He heard the voice of the shepherd. John 1.43, the following day, Jesus went to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. He heard the voice of the shepherd, and he followed him. John chapter 11, verse 43 through 44. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave cloths, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Lazarus heard the voice of the great shepherd. And then I think the best illustration of it is in John chapter 20, verses 15 through 16. Jesus said to her, Jesus said to Mary Magdalene as she went to the tomb looking for her Lord and he wasn't there. And then somebody who she supposed to be the gardener was speaking to her, says Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposing him to be the gardener said to him, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, and he just says one simple word to her. He just simply says, Mary. He calls the sheep by her name she turned and said to him rabboni which is translated as teacher and so she's having this full discussion and she doesn't have a clue but when he says her name she knows exactly who it is the sheep they hear his voice and they follow him it's an amazing concept in psalm 147 verse 4 he counts the numbers of the stars and he calls them all by name. He knows who you are and he will never forsake you or leave you or forget about you. He leads us out. He leads us out of this physical world and he leads us into his spiritual world. His spiritual as far as our time here on earth, spiritual as far as eternity forever. Just as surely as he left Israel out of, or led Israel out of Egypt, Israel out of Babylon, reestablished Israel, he's able to keep you and I. The Lord, the Lord is our shepherd, and if he truly is our shepherd, if he's truly your shepherd, you will not want. Father, once again, we just thank you for your word that leads us in your ways of righteousness, but how much more so? And Father, I pray that we would consider the things that we heard today from your mouth that, Lord, as you have called our name, I just pray, Father, that we would examine our lives, examine our walks with you, Lord, and, Father, allow you to lead us, Lord, into a deeper place, into a closer relationship with you, into the depths of your ministry, to wherever it is, Lord, that not only you have called us, because when you call us and you say go, you go before us. And so, Lord, we're never entering into a place that you are not already at. And so, Father, some of us at times, all of us at times, will go through some pretty hard places. It will definitely be the valley of the shadow of death. But it is a valley. It's a place that is low, but we do pass through. And death, death is only a shadow. It can't touch us. And so, Father, we just thank you and we praise you for who you are. We pray, Father, that truly we would have a mindset to crave your voice, that, Lord, we would truly hear it when you call our name 
And Lord, we would be found faithful in following through to you. So we just thank you for this evening. We pray, Father, that you would make this real and applicable to our lives and that we would glorify you, Lord, through all we do, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? A couple of things. Sean mentioned this Sunday we're having communion and we will be having youth day as well as our uh, high schoolers serve alongside of us. We're taking sign-ups now for the men's retreat. encourage you to get signed up. It's going to be the last weekend, or at least the last Friday of September, first weekend of October, time we get together, we go to Mammoth, and a lot of stuff to do, and get together with fellowship and get into God's Word as well. Tomorrow night, we're going to be having our monthly time of prayer here at the church, and then a week from this Sunday, Sammy is going to be coming out, Sammy Tanago. He's going to be sharing with us and how to minister to those who... We can be so frightened of how to minister to those of the Islamic faith. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of the week.